Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Today, we are going to launch our series with Annals of Surgery as part of our Journal Club segment. In this series, we are going to discuss a prime paper that is accepted to Annals of Surgery with the author of the paper itself. To kick off our series, we have a paper in the arena of pancreatic cancer. We have the pleasure of having Dr. Christopher Wolfgang here today. Dr. Wolfgang uh, is the John L. Cameron Professor of Surgery at the Johns Hopkins University, as well as the Professor of Pathology and Oncology. He's the Chief of the Division of Surgical Oncology, as well as the Vice Chair of Surgery for Surgical Oncology at the Johns Hopkins Medicine. Dr. Wolfgang is a hepatobiliary pancreatic surgeon with an emphasis on neoplasms of the pancreas. He runs a basic translational science lab that focuses on the molecular genetics and tumor biology of pancreatic cancer. Dr. Wolfgang completed a combined MD and PhD degree uh, from Temple University School of Medicine, followed by his general surgery residency at Penn State and a fellowship at Johns Hopkins Hospital. He took his first faculty position at Johns Hopkins and um, since then has been a uh, has been there uh, ever since. So thank you, Dr. Wolfgang, for being with us here today. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, Dr. Wolfgang is here to discuss with us his new paper in Annals of Surgery titled Circulating Tumor Cells Dynamics in Pancreatic Adenocarcinoma Correlate with Disease Status, Results of the Prospective Cluster Study, um, of which he is the senior author. It was presented at the American Surgical Association's National Meeting, and we have the the pleasure of reading it now in uh, Annals of Surgery. Uh, A little bit of background on the paper for our readers who might not be familiar with the topic. Um, Circulating tumor cells, as the name suggests, are cells of a primary solid tumor that have entered the vasculature and that eventually give rise to distant metastases. In doing so, they transition from an epithelial to a mesenchymal phenotype. And in prior research, uh, we've seen that the number and the type of circulating tumor cells correlate with uh, multiple uh, outcomes, such as disease recurrence, overall survival and distant metastases, including in pancreatic cancer, the disease of interest today. Uh, CTC, or circulating tumor cell dynamics, or fluctuations in their amount, have been identified as an important biomarker in other cancers, but haven't been studied in pancreatic cancer specifically. So um, in this study, which is a prospective longitudinal cohort study with an N of 200 patients, all of whom had uh, known pancreatic cancer, 136 of those patients had surgery. Uh, they had blood samples drawn prior to the incision, um, then within uh, six days of surgery, and then again at two to three month intervals with their uh, postoperative follow up. And then they were isolated in vitro using a size based assay and immunofluorescence staining. Um, their findings, uh, sort of to summarize, were that they found two populations of cells some that had the epithelial phenotype, and others that had a combined epithelial and mesenchymal phenotype. None of those cells were seen in healthy controls. And they, were, they did have uh, mutations in known genes associated with pancreatic cancer. Patients who had not gone ne- gotten neoadjuvant therapy had a, about 11 circulating tumor cells per milliliter, which decreased to two after resection. Patients who did get neoadjuvant therapy had about seven, which also decreased to two after surgery. Patients who had occult metastatic disease at, at surgery 
had significantly more, or 20 in their samples. Patients who recurred within 12 months had uh, more circulating tumor cells in their preoperative sample, um, 11 for those patients versus five in patients who didn't have an early recurrence, and more uh, mesenchymal uh, CTCs relative to their epithelial uh, CTCs. Uh, they also found that the CA199 levels in patients that were checked uh, did, did not seem to predict recurrence of um, pancreatic cancer, and that CTCs were a leading indicator of recurrence. They went up by four to five in patients who recurred, and they changed prior to imaging findings in these patients. Um, so many implications, obviously, for clinical practice and for further research, but broadly speaking, it seems to us that circulating tumor cell levels and subtypes could be an early predictor of advanced disease and disease recurrence in patients with pancreatic cancer. So, uh, Dr. Wolfgang, any uh, clarifications or corrections for our listeners before we get started? Uh, no, that's a great summary. Thank you. Fantastic. So, could you just start uh, by telling us what your primary objective was with this study? Yeah. So, um, this uh, research came out of an overall question that we have uh, that our entire group is working on in our lab. And um, it's based on uh, the primary uh, way in which we fail when we treat localized pancreas cancer. So um, when we're treating pancreatic cancer that's clinically localized, so stage one, stage two, or stage three, um, we really are fighting two battles. We're fighting a systemic battle and we're fighting a local battle. And surgery does relatively well for fighting the local battle. We can remove the primary tumor um, and uh, you know the, the operation now is relatively safe. But when we fail, the vast majority of times is systemic. Um, and we presume that that is because uh, there's residual, minimal residual disease that's left behind after surgery um, that uh, leaves the primary tumor long before it's resected. Um, and so the overall goal of our group is to try to better understand uh, this minimal residual disease or this uh, uh, sort of systemic disease that's subclinical at the time of the operation. And uh, we've had several studies in this area, but this particular study, what we wanted to show um, was that we could, uh, in a longitudinal cohort of patients, uh, be able to pick up um, circulating tumor cells prior to treatment of, uh, with either neoadjuvant or uh, surgical resection, and then look at the changes of the cells as we uh, did treatment. So did they change in response what we did to the patient? For example, did they drop with surgical resection? Uh, did they change with chemotherapy? The second thing that we wanted to understand is that do these numbers and change in numbers correlate with outcome? So if you have a relatively high number, does that portend a good or a bad outcome? Um, if you have uh, a lack of a change in cells in response to therapy, is that portend a bad outcome? And then finally, in the third aspect of the study is can we predict early recurrences um, by looking at changes of numbers in CTCs. Our overall goal, uh, although this has clinical application and I think ultimately um, will have some important clinical applications, our overall goal is to understand um, the mechanism by which uh, these CTCs uh, cause metastatic disease uh, and to better understand these circulating tumor cells um, so that we can strategically target these cells and try to prevent recurrences. So let's talk a little bit about the study design. How does it differ from prior work in this field? 
Well, there's uh, a fair amount of work going on in circulating tumor cells in, in other tumor types. Um, it, it, there's uh, only a few papers um, on CTCs in pancreas cancer, so it's not unique in that regard, but it's a relatively small field. What makes this study unique is that, uh, to my knowledge, it's the first longitudinal study, certainly the largest longitudinal study with uh, 200 patients accrued to the study. Um, and, uh, and the method of isolation, um, to my, uh, to my knowledge is, is unique among the other studies looking at, uh, pancreatic cancer circulating tumor cells. Can you talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, the methods you use to detect, um, or identify the circulating tumor cells? So, uh, there's no one best method to detect circulating tumor cells in any tumor type, and it depends on what you're looking for and what you want to do. So, in this particular paper, we used a method called ISET. It's a technique. It's pretty simple. It's basically, um, in a nutshell, a filtration technique in which blood is filtered um, and sorted by size, and and, uh, the size exclusion is around 8 microns, and Cells that um, are not filtered um, are usually leukocytes um, and circulating tumor cells, and then we differentiate those cells using immunohistochemistry. So why did we pick this method? Well, if you start with an antibody-based method, then you find what you're looking for. So if if we a priori decided that we were going to define CTCs as, say, CK, pan-CK or CK19 positive, then, of course, those would be the cells that we would find and we would exclude the other cells. Um, And so we wanted to cast a broad net. So we wanted to uh, try to find essentially all CTCs and then in a second step, go back with immunohistochemistry and look at what cells were left behind. Now, there's a blind spot for this technique, too, because if there are CTCs that are less than eight microns, then they'll uh, be excluded from the study. But, but that's why we chose to do this study uh, using uh, the ISET so that we could cast a broad net. And in fact, we probably never would have found one of the cell populations had we used another method um, because this transitional cell type was something that, that we found um, in the cells that were left behind using the ISET. Um, the second reason that we use this method is that um, it, it is uh, amenable to high throughput. So in order to filter uh, multiple uh, samples on 200 patients, it has to be a relatively cheap and um, uh, easy and reproducible method. And so uh, that's why we chose this. Now, it, it has, you know, it, it has its limitations. Uh, there's some more sophisticated flow cell techniques that can also sort um without antibodies, and they may actually, in some regard, be able to um, capture those smaller cells that we may lose. Um, but the compromise is there's relatively expensive and not amenable to high throughput. So we use multiple methods in our lab to do this. We use uh, physical filtration and separation by flow cell. We use flow cytometry and antib- antibody-based methods. Uh, but for this particular paper, uh, this was the best compromise. So, Dr. Wolfgang, how do you think, uh, how do these results kind of add to our uh, previous literature on this topic? Yeah, so there's, there's, that's a great question. So there's a, a couple of different things. I think that first and foremost, the basic science uh, behind it, it's not, it doesn't have any immediate clinical application, but I think we're looking at something 
um, for the first time that we had never seen before, but we knew existed. And that is this subclinical micrometastatic disease. So I think one of the most interesting subsets of patients are those patients who uh, underwent surgical resection, either after neoadjuvant or surgery first, and uh, they had a drop in their circulating tumor cells, not to zero, uh, but to some baseline level. And they've gone for a full year and have had no evidence of recurrence. So these patients are doing clinically well. They have no evidence of recurrent disease. Their CT scans are normal. They're back to good health. They've completed their chemotherapy, and yet they have this residual disease uh, that before was subclinical and we never saw directly, and now we're looking at it directly. And so that to me is exciting. Um, you know, even though these patients have made it one year, unfortunately, there is a still a chance that they are going to have recurrence, actually a significant chance that they're going to have recurrence. And, and now we can ask the question is that what, what does the recurrence come from? Because we can actually physically identify um, these uh, residual, either dormant um, or inactive cells um, and study them. And then the question is, when we study them and understand them, can we prevent recurrence? Can we maybe not eradicate these cells, but convert them to a chronic disease? And, and so we're looking for uh, where these cells reside. Of course, we find them in the circulation, um, but now we have a, a future arm of this study where we're looking in, in bone marrow, uh, doing bone marrow biopsies at the time of operation, um, and looking uh, within the liver itself, which is uh, the most common site of recurrence. So that, from a mechanistic level, is very exciting to me. Uh, but that's not going to have an immediate impact on clinical care. Um, now, the impact on, med on clinical care um, is when we use it sort of as a tumor marker. Now, we have CA99 as a tumor marker, um, and it's a relatively good tumor marker in that if your CA99 is elevated um, and you undergo uh, treatment uh, and it drops, uh, that's a good prognostic sign, and it usually precedes a um, a clinical recurrence. So, you know, the CTCs don't add anything over that. However, um, as uh, in our study, uh, although we didn't do the most detailed direct head-to-head uh, -head comparison of CN99 and, and CTCs because it wasn't part of our primary goal, it looks like the CTCs are going to be more sensitive um, than CN99. That's somewhat exciting, but what is the most exciting to me is that CA99 is just a tumor antigen marker, and it's a it, it's essentially um, it gives us no information about the tumor itself. When we're looking at CTCs, um, so yes, we can predict the recurrence, but we can do more than that. We can do a liquid biopsy, so we can look at these individual cells and not only say that yes, they're elevated but we can do molecular analysis. We can do single cell sequencing. We can do RNA-seq, uh, immunohistochemistry, and understand the nature of these cells so that if they have a targetable mutation or uh, where we're heading, hopefully one day, is to be able to understand the antigens on these cells um, and be able to uh, pull a vaccine off the shelf that's somewhat tailored for the antigen component on these uh, um, circulating tumor cells. And so then it, it, then it gives us more information than just a CA99. Then it's giving us information about the tumor itself, um, and we can actually potentially intervene in a precision med type approach. 
I mean, that's still somewhat off in the distance, but I think that these are the first sort of steps that will tell us that this is going to be possible. Um, the other thing I'll add too is that you know we uh, in at uh, Johns Hopkins we do a lot of work on on circulating DNA and that's also important liquid biopsy biomarker. But the advantage of CTCs over um, CT DNA for um, this aspect and um, this is in recurrence is that CTCs represent an average of what is going on in the tumor. <clears throat> So that when you look at a mutational analysis on ctDNA, it's the average of all of the all of the residual cells within that tumor. Whereas in CTCs, you're looking at the individual clones themselves. And really, you probably don't have to treat every clone; you just have to treat the worst clone, the one that's going to cause the recurrence. That's uh, it's fascinating, Dr. Wolfgang. You know, obviously, patients, um, you know, the primary treatment for localized pancreatic cancer surgery, but some patients don't make it to surgery. Uh, but we frequently still want tissue in order to guide chemotherapy. Could you use a liquid biopsy instead of a surgical biopsy in patients who are not going to proceed to surgery? Yeah, absolutely. That's the hope. So um, you bring up a really good point. So that what we do now, say, for example, and we're moving more and more toward a neoadjuvant approach, but it's a bit of a shotgun approach. You know, we have two basic cocktails of neoadjuvant. We have gem-based with uh, gem-nab paclitaxel, um, and we have uh, 5-FU-based with fulfirinox and several other variations. Well, we really don't have anything to guide us, so we typically start with one um, of these two cocktails, and then we see how the patient progresses over time. Um, if they have regression of tumor, that's fine. If they have a drop in their CA199, that's fine. We keep going. But if they don't, let's say their CA199 rises or they have progression of uh, existing disease, growth of the primary tumor, development of METS, you know, it takes months until we find that and we can't change on a dime. Um, so then we flip chemotherapy and we go for another couple of months and see if we get uh, any type of uh, uh, uh regression with the other therapy. And this literally takes months of time. And at the end, you know, they may not respond or they, or they do, but it, it took long in theory. And what we're hoping is that with, with CTCs, it's just like getting a white blood cell count or just like getting daily labs that um, we think that this is going to be so responsive that we can get real-time feedback on how the therapy goes. We know that actually when we do surgical resection and move the primary, re- remove the primary tumor based on this study, that within four days, we have a strong, significant drop uh, in the circulating tumor cells. Um, and, and so that's a pretty immediate response. And, and we think that we're going to be able to measure this response. So now in the future, you know, in the same approach, it's still a real little bit of a shotgun approach. And, you know, there's going to be multiple things that are going to be improving over time you know, with the target approach, but let's say we start with fulfirinox and one week into it, we realize that um, that there's no drop in the CTC uh, numbers. Well, now we don't have to go for two to three months and get actual clinical progression. We can say within a week, this is not working and switch to something else that's going to work in theory. And so it opens the door up for that. So that's another exciting avenue um, um, with the CTC work. So looking at the study, what is one question that you wish you could have done or a w- question you wish you could have answered, but you just couldn't and something that's still a big left unanswered question um, on this line of research? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, every, every project I think I've ever done, there's always more questions um, 
than, than answers. And I think that's what makes it exciting. You know, we demonstrated, as you pointed out in your summary, um, that there's, uh, we identified two subtypes of circulating tumor cells. And that's true. Uh, really, we reported two subtypes of circulating tumor cells uh, because that's sort of what we limited, limited this study to. But the fact of the matter is, is there's probably many, many subpopulations of, uh, of circulating tumor cells. So, for example, we uh, uh, identified in this study that the transitional type, so those uh, cells that expressed bimentin, expressed pan-CK, um, and excluded the, uh, the markers for leukocytes, had the strongest um, correlation with outcome. This subset of cells... Um, I'm sure can be further divided into other subsets. And it's probably um, even within this subset of cells, the transitional cell type, there's probably maybe one or two cell populations that are really driving the bus in biology. So in this study, I really wish that we could have actually uh, uh, elaborated on these subtypes. Now, there's a couple of reasons that we, we couldn't do it. This was a relatively large study, not really designed to look at mechanism, but to sort of look at cause and effect. Um, and so we were drawing relatively small amounts of blood. So you know that, uh, as, as you mentioned in your summary, you know, we only had maybe five to 11 uh, uh, CTCs within the blood of these patients per 10 cc's. And and when you start to divide those subtypes up, there's not enough blood there to be able to look at all of those subtypes. The other thing is uh, because we were multiple samples in 200 patients, uh, we limited the markers that we were looking at. But I think that the next exciting thing uh, as we move to the next study is to understand the mechanism and to drill down more on these subtypes and see which ones are really the bad players. You know, at any one time uh, in circulation, we did a rough uh, on the napkin calculation there after surgical resection, there's probably 50,000 circulating tumor cells uh, in the body, just roughly based on, on averages. And in those 50,000 cells, there literally may only be 10 cells that are capable of causing metastases. The other ones may be markers for metastases, um, or they may be sort of irrelevant, um, but uh, uh, trying to identify those 10 cells in circulation is going to be a challenge. It's going to be difficult, uh, but it's also uh, exciting. Uh, to and, and I think that uh, we will work out uh, methods to be able to do it. Dr. Wolfgang, to compare pancreatic cancer to other malignancies, what is the state of circulating tumor cell research in pancreatic cancer relative to other diseases? And, um, you know, have some are other diseases closer to prime time? And can, does that give an indication of where your research might be headed? Yeah, absolutely. So relatively speaking, uh, we're somewhat behind in, in pancreatic cancer. Probably the most uh, developed field in circulating tumor cells is, is breast cancer. And a, and a lot of the work that was done in breast really informs us what to do in uh, pancreatic cancer. Now, there's differences, um, you know, different biology um, in particular. So, you know, there's many more targetable uh, things in breast. Um, there's uh, hormone hormonal responsiveness and other things to look for. So some things are irrelevant, uh, but some things uh, are, are very helpful to us. But yeah, we're relatively far behind. But I do think that as a field, we'll catch up quickly. There's uh, very uh, 
uh, bright researchers working in this field. We have several groups uh, that we collaborate with and, and groups out there that are doing uh, excellent publications. And the fact that uh, some of this is not uncharted territory uh, will make uh, pancreas cancer catch up to those other fields. So, Dr. Wolfgang, so do you ever see that, you know, these CTCs uh, being used in such a way that you would potentially reconsider upfront surgery in a patient who has a high preoperative CTC um, with the assumption that, you know, they, they probably have an occult metastatic disease? Uh, yeah, so that's that's a great question. And, and so the answer to that is yes, potentially, um, and actually the other extreme. So, um, one of the exciting about, of things about the CTCs is that it's going to set the stage for a uh, precision approach. Now, uh, precision approaches have been used in the past for pancreas cancer, not particularly for the surgical patients, uh, but in, in metastatic, and there's been some failures, but I think it's because um, we were a little bit ahead of ourselves. And so I think that um, although there may be a bad reputation for a precision approach, um, it's on the horizon in the future. And I think that you can see my bias in this, in this uh, interview that I think that precision med is, is really going to be a benefit in the future. Now, what do I mean by that? So it's, it's both extremes. It's exactly what you said. In a particular patient, um, if we find an elevated uh, CTC above some threshold, and we didn't calculate this threshold because the study wasn't powered um, to look at occult metastatic disease. It's just an observation that we made. But if we did a study and were able to determine a threshold, then, then yes, we could say, well, this patient with high probability has occult metastatic disease. They will not benefit from surgery, and we get them immediately to chemotherapy. That would be a clinical benefit to that patient. But the other extreme is also true. Right now, because we know that pancreatic cancer in general is a systemic disease, um, we as a field are moving more and more toward a neoadjuvant uh, chemotherapy approach. But that, in a way, is a little bit of a shotgun approach, too, because within those patients that are now getting neoadjuvant ther therapy, there's probably a subset of patients who don't need it or won't benefit from it. So uh, in the future, can we look at patients with low CTCs or a certain subtype of CTCs which predict localized disease um, and exclude those patients from neoadjuvant therapy from which they won't benefit or even exclude them from both uh, neoadjuvant and adjuvant because they will not benefit from that treatment, which is relatively toxic and associated with side effects. And, and I think that uh, the other extreme is going to be true, too. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, we start moving toward a more and more precision approach in which we can now predict who will benefit from surgery, who will not benefit from surgery, who needs neoadjuvant and not need neoadjuvant. The, the other thing is, and again, this is where the big advantage is over CA199, is we're also going to have information about the tumor uh, because these CTCs are little packets of information about the clones within that tumor. And um, we may be able to predict, are they going to be responsive to GEM-based or 5-FU-based? So not only will we know if they need neoadjuvant, but what type of neoadjuvant uh, they may benefit from. So uh, that, to me, is one of the exciting things about these CTCs and, and you know, that occult uh, metastatic disease that we reported in that study, although it wasn't our intent, it was sort of a serendipitous finding, is pretty interesting and exciting. So, so fast forward for us, you know, five, ten years. Is this being, you know, is this commonplace in clinical practice? Or are we looking further out than that? Um. 
Yeah, I it's I do think that in five to ten years, uh, at at the rate things are 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 uh, growing, that it'll be useful. But I think that the advances are not necessarily going to be in the CTCs itself. You know that we can already do some pretty amazing uh, analysis of CTCs. We can pick them up in early stage. Uh, pancreas cancer patients consistently, not a problem. Um, we can subtype them. Um, and outside of this study, we can do pretty sophisticated subtyping of them. We just don't do it on a high throughput manner. We can do single cell sequencing. We can do single cell RNA-seq. And so now we have a lot of information about these cells. What has to change is that uh, what uh, does this information tell us about how the cells behave? And, and that's a whole other area of study that is also advancing. Um, you know, is there anything targetable? Uh, when you look at uh, the uh, subtypes, like the, uh, the Bailey subtypes, the Collison subtypes, can we identify those and does it make a difference in, in how we treat them? And we don't know that yet, but I think that that field's advancing too, that when these two fields converge, that we can analyze CTCs and understand them. And now that we have markers for treatment response, we put these two things together. So I do predict that in a five to 10 year, year uh, range um, that this will integrate it itself into clinical care. That's fascinating, Dr. Wolfgang. It's, uh, and we appreciate this uh, overview of really exciting topic and, and research. Uh, we can't thank you enough for coming online with us and taking the time to tell us about what you're doing. And we hope that we'll have you on as a guest again before long. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. You take care, Dr. Wolf. Uh, thank you again. Thank you. Until next time, dominate the day. 